0: This is Tracy Deventer with the Little Things First podcast. And
1: this is Jim Martin, also with Little Things First.
0: And we're going to be calling Rachel Nance and asking her what she, uh, what she can share with us about Little Things. She's uh, been in education. She's been an educational leader. She's been a coach. We'll learn more about her. Let's give her a call. Oh, we can't hear you very well.
1: Uh, uh-oh. We'll call you right back.
0: Wait just a second. Oh. Uh. do Okay. Someone has taken Rachel.
2: Oh, hi. There hi, she is. oh, there is. you are. Now we can hear you. What
1: were you doing?
2: Uh, I was trying to be technologically savvy. See how that
1: works? <laughs> oh, well that's that's where you went wrong. <laughs> well
0: maybe before we hang up you can tell us so we don't do it if we ever get <laughs> like put in that position. We're always trying oh, to learn it, from others.
2: It was the complex task of using your AirPods. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <that's funny. laughs> yeah. Apparently, it was uh, connected to my laptop instead of my phone, so I had to reconnect it to my phone. Okay. Very complicated.
1: Well, thanks for being willing to talk to us today.
2: Yes. Hi, Tracy. Hi. No talk. I
0: know. Rachel, so good to hear from you. You sound great.
2: I know. Same. You sound better. I listened to the podcast with Beth, and you sounded a little stuffy.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm better. Thanks. (laughs) Good. Good.
2: (laughs) If you lived in Salt Lake Valley, you'd be stuffy because yeah, the air, air is nasty right now.
0: I right. know, bad, bad air. Ogden isn't much better, but a little bit better. We see you guys got some bad air down there. Yeah,
1: yeah. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about Rachel Nance, like who you are, mm-hmm. what you've been doing, your uh, career, what you're doing now?
2: Okay. That's a big question, right? Mm-hmm. Who is Rachel Nance? Tell us. <laughs> um, Well, so I'll just start with where I am. Where I am is I am doing um, educational consulting for a couple different companies, but then also trying to launch my own um, company as well called Intentional Design Consulting. I've been doing that for about three years and work all over the state of Utah, um, doing mostly turnaround work in the state of Utah. But then I also, with a different company, work in primarily uh, Savannah, Georgia, and Sells, Arizona, Gallup, New Mexico, and then a couple times in um, California, uh, doing sustainability work with um, districts that went through UVA, um, PLE turnaround. So doing some sustainability work on school improvement. Before that, as you two know, I was with Salt Lake City School District for 18 years. Um, Lastly, a principal of a Title I middle school um, with about 800 students who, and we went through turnaround there. I was the assistant principal for three years before becoming the principal. Before that, I was in the district office in Title I Department, uh, equity department, and professional development department doing a lot of work around um, supporting English learners and equity. Um, and before that, I was a middle school teacher for English learners for four years when um, in a magnet program for the district at the time for English learners. So, so you've been that around. Is I've been around,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you're still going around. I'm still, I am
2: going around. Yes.
1: So um, Tracy and I were having this discussion a little bit earlier because I know you are going to talk a little bit about coaching today. Uh-huh. Um, but we were wondering, what's the difference between consulting and coaching?
2: Um. Well, consulting is a gigantic word that actually could be. A variety of things. So as a consultant, um, I provide professional development for entire faculties. I provide professional development for instructional leaders of entire school districts. Um, I may do one-on-one leadership coaching with a particular principal or admin- uh, um, assistant principal, or I might uh, do Um, kind of technical assistance with leadership teams. So basically, I would say a consultant can provide coaching, but can do a variety of other things as well. Got it.
1: Thank you for the clarity.
2: Yeah. So Rachel, as you know, our Little
0: Things First podcast focuses on little things that we can do in schools to mm-hmm. increase the culture, help teachers become stronger, increase student achievement, you know, without, you know, trying to avoid this like sweeping reforms that have to happen, yeah. you know, to, to be able to make uh, the changes that we want to see. Cause we all want to get better every day. Everybody yeah. shows up in schools because they want to do great things for kids. And, and I wonder from you, what are, because you've been around, right? We just said that. Mm-hmm. So you've been a teacher, you've been a, a instructional coach, you've been an assistant and a principal. Now you've been a consultant, you've been, you know, supporting different groups in helping schools improve. What are some of the little things that you've noticed that can be done or that take place in schools that make a big difference?
2: Yeah. When, when, uh, Jim said to be thinking about that question, the first thing that came to my mind and I, and then I rolled around with it to see if that's actually what I thought I would want to really kind of focus on with this conversation with you two is, is having a a clear intended outcome for whatever we do. And I do in a sense, think that is a little thing, like it's just about clarity, right? So it's not about, any uh, bells and whistles. It's not about song and dance. It's really like with every step I make, what's my intended outcome? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we have as educators have gotten pretty savvy in talking about that with teachers, like the conversation, the the type of professional development that I do with um, uh, faculties, primarily regardless of what state, I'm in, regardless of if I'm in an urban school district or a rural school district or on a reservation, so much of my work with teachers is about uh, really solid learning targets, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, And now success criteria. And that is not a new conversation. And teachers get kind of frustrated with that because they're like, oh my gosh, here we go again with the, you know, whatever it's called. So 20 years ago when I was doing tons of professional development on um, PSYOP strategies for English learners, we called it learning objectives and, and content objectives or language objectives and yeah. content objectives. Yeah. Now it's learning targets. Now it's intended outcomes. Like we always, you know, whatever new researcher puts a new phrase, a new name to it. But we've been talking to teachers for a long time about what is their intended outcome of this activity or of this lesson or of this unit or of this interim assessment. And I really think as I work with um, educational leaders, I think that we as leaders need to do better at at walking the walk in regard to what is our intended outcome. So when, you know, principals call me or I meet with the district leader and they say, well, we need this kind of professional development or this uh, leader needs to develop this kind of these kind of skills, I notice that as educators, we tend to be fixers right? So we're Mm -hmm. just like, boom, let's Mm -hmm. get fixing. Mm -hmm. Uh, We tend to be doers, especially if we're in a leadership position. Most of us got there because we're high performing doers. Mm -hmm. Um, There's so much research out there saying, you know, you need this or you need this going you need this. So we're like, yeah, bring that in, bring that in. Now bring that in. Yeah. But we as leaders have a hard time slowing down and saying, okay, I want to bring this in, but for what intended outcome? So what should I actually see differently once this professional development is provided or what should I see differently once I give this teacher feedback after coaching or what should I see differently once I buy this program to come into my school. And that's what I think is a really little thing is getting clear about the intended outcome of any decision that I have to make. Mm
0: -hmm. So if you're if you're going to go down this road a little about intended outcomes, right? I'm thinking about leadership team and how we pull teachers in as a te- you know team to help us with some of the decisions we make. How do you feel that the intended outcome conversation takes place in that in that role or in that arena?
2: Mm-hmm. So. Um,
0: And maybe it's not different. Maybe, maybe it's the same thing, but I was just curious about pulling in people and becoming clear as a whole team that's leading our organization.
2: Right. Right. So I think, uh, and maybe this isn't really where you wanted me to go, but when you first asked your question, my experience with a lot of leadership teams is they're just saturated in data, right? So I'm working with this one, uh, leadership team and, they were they, the, the principal and assistant principal who are doing an awesome job. They're like, OK, we're going to share this uh, Lexile reading data with our team. And it's a high school um, school that is struggling. And they're really trying to get their whole faculty on board with supporting close reading strategies. Mm-hmm. And so they have their reading data and they're like, OK, we'll have the leadership team look at the data. And I kind of uh, let them play around with their agenda for a bit. And then I was like, okay. And I realized they just were going to have them look at it. Uh-huh. So what is the intended outcome of looking at it? Are you going to make recommendations to your faculty? Are you going to say this, you know, online program that you have is working? Are you going to change um, student schedules based on their Lexile levels? So that so when we, I started saying, well, what is the leadership going to do after looking at it? Right. So again, we've gotten good at telling teachers, when you look at your own classroom data, you have to create an action plan or a reteach plan, or it should guide your next instructional block. So there, but then as administrators, we still are like, yeah, we're going to have them look at data. Mm-hmm. But, and so what I did with this faculty or with this leadership team is we went through and based on their 90-day plan, we identified all of the data that they were going to be looking at throughout the school year because they had made it that far. Like they were very savvy to know they should be looking at data. Mm -hmm. But then next to every data set that they were going to look at throughout the year, I said, what are the possible outcomes that could come from this conversation around this data? And so then we did generate possibilities like classroom changes, um, you know, mentoring teachers who are struggling, uh, program evaluation, like we generated a bunch of intended outcomes. So they kind of had that menu of possible, um, movement after analyzing the data and they've, they've become much more action oriented since that generation of, um, potential outcomes from data analysis. So that's just the first thing that came to my mind is that, is that Yeah, that's great. I mean,
0: yeah, no, no, that's perfect. What? And and I'm just going through my own experience. I don't think I'm very good about doing this myself as a leader. And I was thinking that for myself, I have often an intended learning target that is much more kind of grand, if you will. That it's Uh like this year, this is our goal, right? So everything I do needs to take us to this one goal. And even though we have all kinds of other decisions that we make, I try to line it up with like the goal, because I think we as a school can't really take on more than one, maybe a second one that we maybe won't be quite as successful at. So I was trying to lay my own experience over what you were talking about, because you gave an example of like getting prepped for a meeting, why are we going to be doing this with this? And I think I haven't used it in that that way. I've just been more like, this is the big goal for the year and Uh try to line up everything I do and try to get everybody to keep remembering this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. Remember, this is our focus for the year. And maybe it's the same thing, but also I'm like, I'm trying to challenge myself. Hmm. wonder if, if I was more like, um, explicit about it and maybe even breaking it down into smaller chunks, even though it fits into the grand goal, that might be mm-hmm. a better way for people to be able to swallow. It's like biting that elephant one step at a time, you know?
2: Yeah. And I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, Though your listeners who live in Salt Lake Valley may find my, my analogy appropriate. And Jim, you may have heard me say this, but in the center of, the, of Salt Lake Valley, there's this big mess of freeway and we call it the spaghetti bowl. Mm-hmm. And I visualize like in this mess of a freeway, we have one car that's professional development and one car is school improvement plan and one car is family involvement and one car is teacher evaluation and one car is um, observation mm-hmm. and feedback. And we have this mess, this spaghetti bowl of school initiatives. And exactly to what you're speaking to, I I talked to teachers or to leadership teams and administrators about getting all those cars moved over onto the front runner. Mm -hmm. And so you have all of these cars in alignment towards what you're talking about, that one mega initiative that the school is working mm-hmm. towards or the district is working towards. And so I do feel like, and, and, um, this example that I gave their school improvement plan is based on increasing reading scores through close reading strategies. And so everything that they should be doing should be one step closer to that. Yeah. So that front runner really moving in an accelerated, um, speed all towards the same goal yeah. and it, and if your car isn't going in that direction then you're spending psychological energy fuel, you know mm-hmm. resources all of that towards something that's not moving your school in in the direction that needs to and and We should try not to do that as much as we can.
0: Yeah. And at the same time, how many times have we found ourselves in schools, either as a teacher or as a leader even, where we end up being more like lemmings, where we just like nod our head and we just sort of hop along and we follow because this is what we're supposed to be doing without taking into consideration what is the purpose, what is our intent, right? you know, learning outcome here. So I really appreciate the clarity because I think you're right. This is, it doesn't cost very much to have actually a focus to ask ourselves this question and something we should be able to do very easily.
1: Yeah. So Rachel, I know you've spent a lot of your career looking at coaching and the benefits of coaching. You're doing coaching now in your consulting roles. And so talk a little bit about coaching and the benefits of that. Um, Maybe it's not a little thing, or maybe it is, but what what are your insights about coaching? What are you learning about coaching?
2: Um well I I'm a huge fan of coaching. Um, and I I will be fully transparent to say I drank the Paul Danbrook Santoyo Kool-Aid <laughs> and I very much believe in um his Kind of coaching and feedback model. Um, I do think that his leverage leadership 2.0 and data driven instruction or driven by data 2.0. He's revised his feedback um, protocol, and I think it's it's a really great revision. I don't think that's the end all be all, but I do think it's a great place to start. And what I appreciate most about it is that it, if you follow it, it really keeps your coaching at the granular level so that you can be super clear about what is my intended outcome with this coaching experience every time you interact with your coachee yeah um and that's what I think you know when I like I go into um two different schools in Savannah Georgia and I go observe a classroom for 15 minutes and I give the Um, teacher feedback. I do not have a relationship with these teachers. I can't. I don't see them enough. I see them three times. Right. right? And I believe relationships are super important and I develop them as best I can. But in situations like this, especially as a consultant, it's really hard to develop relationships with as a consultant because you're not there enough. Right. And so what I think I've tried to focus um, my energy on in those those circumstances is just having that teeny interaction be as purposeful as possible for the receiver. Mm-hmm. Right. So a lot of times, uh, you know, coaching, whether it be my own ego or my own sense of urgency or my own fear or my supervisor's breathing down my back, like coaching can become very egocentric in that, okay, I got to see these many teachers a week So let me cross this off my list. Okay. Now I've done my job.
0: Yep.
2: But in a true coaching situation, we both come out smarter at the end, Hmm. right? Hmm. There's no crossing it off. There's no check box check. So, uh, back to this, the schools in Georgia, uh, I do use Bambrick's feedback protocol and I keep it super granular. I go through, what does that look like? Sound like we do the role playing and practice and, at the end, I'm like, "All right, you know, when when do you think you can get this implemented?" And and the hoped for answer is like tomorrow, right? Because yeah. it's so small. My intended outcome for this teacher is so small, and they're like, "What? That's it? I can totally do that." And they leave feeling empowered because they know that it's just this s- small adjustment right. can make a huge difference on on learning. So that's an example of coaching a teacher um, or teachers. When I um, have the luxury of coaching administrators, you know, there's not as much of a time crunch just because they don't have kids coming in and out of their classroom and bells ringing to tell them where to be. Um, So I often, well, I set up every coaching um, uh, session with with an administrator with an intended outcome that they desire. So that, again, it's super um, driven by the receiver and it's highly reflective. Um, And again, with them, I still do a lot of role playing and practice. And what I've noticed, um, you know, uh, administrators after discussing kind of a a challenge they're experiencing and we come up with some different solutions, then they make like this huge to-do list of things they need to do now to solve the thing that we just discussed. And I will most often, if appropriate, I'll be like, okay, well, do that now. <laughs> like make that phone call right now. Yeah. And they're like, what? With, you know, with you here? And like, yeah. Yeah.
0: Start the momentum. <laughs> then I,
2: right. Like, let's just do it. And that's something that I think is, is uh, their response is always like, well, what? Like, I'm actually supposed to do it. <laughs> yeah. So I really try to have it be kind of action oriented. Um, I start with what's your intended outcome for the next hour that we have together. And then at the end, I ask what was most helpful for you today. Um, and then we create kind of a list of commitments that they and I will um, maintain between now and the next time we meet. Um, so, while I do believe that it should be receiver oriented, like I do learn a lot from Mm -hmm. all of these people that I'm coaching. It's, it's a really exciting time for me.
1: I have a two part question. Um, the first part is, uh, what is Paul Bambrick's, um, feedback process? It just in a nutshell, if you can describe it.
2: Sure. Um, do you want to ask the second part, or should I answer that? No, first? do that
1: part first. And then <laughs> okay. I'll go on to the second Okay. Part. Hopefully, I'll remember it by the time you get there.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, his first, the first draft of it was just called the Six Steps to Effective Feedback, and it basically was praise, probe, um, n- name the action step, practice it, and then a um, and then plan a follow up. And the way he's kind of shifted that, he he broke it down, and so you praise and it's an authentic praise, right? Like I really, I saw this super powerful move you made. Um, How did you make that? What were you thinking at the time? Did you see the impact? So a genuine um, praise and then kind of narrowing the focus and you ask a probing question. So today I really want to talk about the way you had partnered kids. This is when I'm um, coaching a teacher. So you kind of narrow the focus and his new flair to it is that you first talk about the exemplar. So in the way that you partnered kids together, what were you hoping to see? Right? So assuming that teachers are making logical decisions, what were you hoping to get out of this? Or what was your intended outcome of this activity? Or what was your, your learning design um, during this part of the lesson that I saw? Then you ask questions about what did you actually see happen? So then you talk about the reality of the classroom observation and then you name the gap. So compared to what you wanted to see and what you actually saw, what is the gap? And that is where like, it really dawns on them like, Oh, I didn't have full participation or, you know, whatever it is, their gap. So, um, it, he calls it the see it, name it, do it. So you see the exemplar, you see the gap, you name the action step, you um, practice the action step, you plan for the action step, and then you follow up with it.
1: And so who comes up with the action step in that scenario? Is it the coach or is it the teacher?
2: So one thing, Bambrick doesn't go into this, but I, um, there's some research by, I think his name is or their name, one of the names is Hershey or Hershley. And they talk about different types of coaching, directive coaching. Um, And the idea there is you kind of sort your teachers into four quadrants based on their levels of will and skill. And then your coaching is kind of shaped by that. So obviously, if it's a if it's a brand new teacher and they just, and a lot of teachers I work with are actually alternative route teachers. And so they've never even taken an education class. Like you can't sit there and ask someone like that probing questions and they'll know because they don't know. Right. So as, as collaborative as I try to make it, sometimes I do share the action step. Optimally we come to the action step um, together And if the teacher's a rock star, then I just really am acting as a sounding board and they come up with the action step on their own. Sure. But the the point is, is that as a coach, you always go in there having ideas, right? So if the teacher gets stuck or the teacher is defensive or the teacher is exhausted and just really needs some support right now, you come in prepared with a possible action step, but it doesn't always go that way, but I still prepare for it.
1: Well, that was the second part of my question is like, what if um, you have an intended outcome that's different than the teachers or whoever Uh you you happen to be coaching? So let's say you have something in mind as the coach that would, you think, be a high leverage action step, but they say, you know, my intended outcome for this hour is that I want to work on this and it's not Uh the road that you would go down. How How do you negotiate that?
2: Um, well, if it's still a viable outcome and it's still going to make an impact on their organization or on their students outcomes, then I go with it. Right. Okay. Again, this is not the Rachel show. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if there's, uh, If there is, like, I have a big concern, and obviously this may be more relevant to coaching teachers than coaching administrators of like, oh, they're so blind to this weak spot they have, then I may say, you know, how about we do a double whammy, like, let's go down the path you're interested in, but then I'm just going to ask you to pay attention to this aspect that I find most critical, and next time we'll circle back to that. Nice. Nice. So I hate that the conversation is, it depends, but I do, uh, I try to honor, I, mo- you know, I try to honor what they see as important, but the point of coaching is that you're an extra set of eyes and as the extra set of eyes who is not emotionally invested. You may be able to see a blind spot more easily. Sure. So I'll just share that blind spot and then, you know, ask that we come back to it. And yeah. I find most people super open to that.
0: And I like your response in that you're front loading, you're not forcing, you're not directing, you're helping yeah. them to maybe notice uh, that they are a fish that actually lives in water and yes. um, it may become more apparent to them and that you can follow up because you've given them a chance to sort of acclimate it to the idea and yes. start noticing things. Yeah. Perfect.
2: One, Yeah. And re- before we go, Tracy, you just took a breath, but let me insert here. One thing that I have, really learned um, from my three years away from being a principal in a highly impacted school is that while I still have a, a heavy sense of urgency in supporting schools to better serve students, I am more conscious of the fact that there are a million ways to get that job done Mm. and um, no one's going to be hurt if we push pause on something Mm -hmm. that's been, and this is a whole different conversation, not really about me as a coach or coaching. Right. Um, But that sense of pushing pause on things so that people can be ready to go there just personally and professionally has been a big growing um, space for me in the past three years. And so that's where as a coach, I'm like, Oh, okay. They're not ready to go here yet. I'm going to let them know it is an issue to try Mm -hmm. to bring awareness to Mm -hmm. it, but there, no one's going to be hurt if we don't address it right now. So maybe next time they will be more prepared to do so.
0: Right. And, and then they're a willing counterpart. Right? Yes. They're willing, they're ready, they're standing beside you eyes wide open and maybe more yes. prepared to take the jump that you're asking them to do. Excellent. Right. A- and and right. you maybe have answered the last question that I was going to ask. And and we try to end our conversations by asking people to step into an imaginary time capsule that would take them back to the time that you began being an education or being an educator. Uh-huh. And what uh-huh. advice would you give your younger self about l- a little thing that you think that would have made a difference for you? Mm. <laughs> and it might be push pause, but there may be something else. If you could go back and have a conversation with your younger self, what would you? What advice would you give them?
2: Yeah, uh, I would probably just tattoo on my younger self forehead. <laughs> I am only one person. Mm-hmm. And that, that's actually kind of the thing that I keep repeating to all of the administrators that I support um, through coaching and consultation is you are only one person. Like I, you know, I, I'm only one person throughout my whole uh, career. I have felt overwhelmed by the obligation to do better for kids. And I'm only one person in a super complex system and I, I never should have taken on what emotionally
0: I took on. So. Excellent.
2: Yeah.
1: That's a good, that's a good thing to hear because I think, um, we're seeing a lot of teachers who are experiencing burnout and uh, taking good care of themselves. And I think that that's a good message to send to to educators everywhere that they're only one person and uh, we want we want everybody to do good work, of course, for kids yeah. and be mindful about our own.
0: Right. Right. Abilities. And, I th- and I think that it's not just teachers, right? Educational leaders who oh, are sure. just feeling the weight of the responsibility.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, it reminds me of uh, what's the guy who does teach like your hair is on fire?
1: Oh yes. I know who you're talking about.
0: That's his book. <laughs> um, but I remember reading one of his books and just being so excited about what he was doing, you know, with this big Shakespeare and he takes him on a tour and all the ways that his kids in really, you know, poverty uh, intense areas uh, doing some amazing things. But then I also was like, Oh, but he shows up at six in the morning and he yeah. doesn't get home till seven at night. And his wife and his, yeah. you know, sometimes kids have to come to school to do it. And I'm like, ah, boy, I love what he's doing, but is there a way that people could actually have families and sleep I know while also making great change? So I love, I love that message that you're sharing out that we one step at a time and we are only one person.
2: Yeah. When I uh, left Salt Lake District, my, some um, members of my faculty gave me a sign and it said, um, see those mountains you've been carrying around? You were only supposed to climb them.
0: Mm. Wow. And that is great. Yeah.
2: yeah and I was like, oh my gosh. So I look at that sign every single day and I just try to send that message because I actually do believe that if we took better care of ourselves, we'd be yeah. better models for our teachers. Yeah. Our teachers would be better models for our kids. And those kind of books like Teach Like Your Hair's on Fire and Freedom Riders and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they are not sustainable. Like yeah. that is not sustainable and it comes at a great personal cost. And, and I don't think that's what our profession or organizations need mm-hmm. or unhappy adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we'd do better if we were happier and more balanced. Yeah. So Perfect. easier said than done, but that's <laughs> been one of my... One of my uh, anchors as a consultant is to try to share that message with leaders.
0: Thank you so much, Rachel, for joining us and taking time Thank out of you your, too. speaking of taking time out of your, you know, your life and your family, yeah. but we appreciate you taking that time and opportunity to come and speak with us and share some of your your background, your experiences, some of your aha moments, some of your ideas. Um, I, I've loved it. And uh, in fact, uh, Jim, we got to bring back Rachel for a couple more things. Yeah, we do. Woo-hoo.
1: We know you are an avid reader. We wanted to start a, a little feature called Booklist Burst, so we will be
2: asking your, yeah. Your
1: feedback on that. So yeah. I
2: love your guys' alliterations and your <laughs> your um little things first, little leaves, like you two. I'm I'm I I wanna be you two when I grow up. Yeah. Aww. We're
0: working on a new logo. We'll get your feedback, okay.
2: Okay. Right. Speaking of logos, before we hang up, can I just share mine? Oh yes. please, yes. 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 So um again, like I said in the beginning, I'm trying to launch my own right um, consulting company and intentional
0: design consulting,
2: intentional design consulting. And so I have an Instagram handle. It's just at intentional design consulting. And that is um, primarily, I'm just using it as like some resource, you know, a, a way to share resources with educators at all levels. Um, some inspiration. I'm really trying to get like a community feel where, cause one of the things important to us is that we, no, we're not the only ones in the struggle, right? There's right. lots of us trying to do amazing work. And with a few posts I've already put out, I'm trying to get people to comment, but no one's done that yet. So okay. we're we'll working go on, on that. that. <laughs> um, and then I do have a website <clears throat> and it's just www.intentional-design-consulting.org. So if anyone is interested in support, professional development or coaching, at any level, then they can contact me through my uh, Instagram or my website.
1: That's awesome. We'll put it on our website as well. So
2: All yes, right. so I'm going to highlight your guys's podcast on mine. So Perfect. thank you. So
0: www.intentional-design-consulting.org. Yes,
2: ma'am. All right.
1: Excellent. Okay. Thanks for talking thank to you us. So much.
0: Okay. Have great a good rest, guys. Yep. Have a great rest of your day.
2: Okay. Bye bye. All right. Bye.